0: Here we go, I'm talking now, and there's sound, yay! Okay. (laughs) Those testimonies were super good. Uh, Sandy, Alyssa, thank you for that. That, That's uh, exciting to see what God's doing in the church. Um, Missed it. Sorry I was gone three weeks. I really don't like to be gone that long from the family or the church family, but um, many of you were praying for our trip, so thank you if you were doing that, so Shannon and I were successful, we got to the top of Africa, Mount Kilimanjaro, and lived to tell the tale, so uh, if anybody wants to see pictures and videos, we have some, but we haven't, they're not organized, so like, we'll try and find a way to do that, and, and uh, anyway, it was a lot of fun. Today's message was actually inspired by our time away, so if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn it into a, uh, Matthew chapter 11. In fact, I, I wrote the outline in a hotel in Tanzania. <clears throat> I was thinking about it right there. Last Sunday, we finished our series on the Psalms. Next Sunday, we'll start a series on the letter to the Hebrews. But today I wanted to address a topic that began to grow on my heart and mind when we were over there on vacation, and it's the topic of rest. Rest. There there was a time when I would never have taken a trip like the one that we just did because I thought that the Christian life is all about sacrifice and self-denial and hard work. And to be sure... Those things are part of it, absolutely. But without rest, we can't sustain a life of sacrifice and hard work and denial of certain things. We need rest. God knows we need it. He wants us to be refreshed repeatedly. He wants us to recover our strength and find our enjoyment in our toil. That's from Ecclesiastes 2. 24. So rest um, is something that we need, but not something that we naturally do well or that we do for the right reasons. We can either veer towards laziness uh, without, with just a bunch of wasted time, or we can just press, keep pressing in without any real breaks and suffer the consequences of burnout and even depression. So the Lord doesn't want us to go down those roads uh, rest is actually His gift to us. It's a gift that can actually only be enjoyed to the fullest in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at two main texts this morning. We're going to look at Matthew 11:28 28-30, and then Deuteronomy 5, 12-15. And so let's read the Matthew text first, and then let's pray for God to open it up to us. This is Jesus speaking. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are for us. The cross is your concrete demonstration of how much you pursue us with goodness and loving kindness all the days of our lives. And we here who have understood the meaning and intent of that cross and what it accomplished, Lord, I pray that you would refresh us again with the joys of knowing Jesus Christ and all that's true for us in Him. For those, Lord, who don't know you, who don't know what the cross is about, who are still trying to explore Christianity, I pray that you give them a word this morning and show them who you are, show them your nature and your, your desire to bless. And we just ask, Lord, refresh us. We ask you give us rest for our souls and advance that this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the main thing for us to notice from the Matthew passage, which is that salvation is about rest. Salvation is about rest. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Rest is what Jesus Christ offered to each person who came to Him in the first century. Rest is what he has offered to every generation since then through the preaching of the gospel. And it's what he holds out to each one of us this morning. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Now, what is it exactly that he's offering? What what is the rest that he's talking about? You might think he's talking about physical rest here. The cessation of work in order to refresh yourself. That's the dictionary definition. Because his invitation is to all who labor and are heavy laden. That sounds like your job, doesn't it? Are you heavy laden (laughs) at your workplace? Do you labor Sounds like our job, sounds like Jesus is offering rest from that burdensome labor, from the hard work, from stressed out employees who need a break, fried moms who need someone to wash their kids for an afternoon. It sounds like he's offering this kind of like physical rest from that. But Jesus isn't saying that you come to me and then you can quit your job or that you can hand over the raising of your children to somebody else. Actually, he says, I have a yoke for you if you come to me. Take my yoke upon you, he says. A yoke is something you put around the neck of an animal so they can pull something, like a plow or a cart. A yoke is for doing work. And so Jesus is saying, I've got work for you. I have work for you to do if you follow me. Work like Matthew 9, 37 and 38. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are You, therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. He's talking there about bringing the good news about forgiveness of sin to people in the world, of rest in Jesus Christ, of building the church. There's work involved in that. So Jesus isn't saying if you come to him, you'll never have to work again a day in your life, but he's talking about a deeper rest here. He's talking about rest for the soul. Learn from me, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we might call the inner rest. We might call it peace of mind. Rest for your soul is when your troubled heart gets untroubled. It's when anxious thoughts are put at ease. It's when restless people, fearful people, sad people, driven people find contentment, refuge, reassurance, a reason to relax, permission to stop striving to achieve something that you think is going to make you safe and make you feel good about yourselves in this world. That's the rest Jesus offers to all who come to Him, and it's the best kind of rest that there is. So ask yourself this, what drains you the most from day to day? Is it the physical exertion of what you do? Or is it the inner life of the mind and heart? Is it how many calories you burn or is it what you worry about? The weight of your responsibilities, the need to come up with answers for people, the guilty conscience at having done some wrong, concerns about your family, concerns about the news, concerns about the present, concerns about the future. From my experience, and probably yours also, it's the inner life of the mind that wears us out the most, that makes us weary and heavy-laden, which is how New American Standard translates this verse. Because you can work all day long at a job you love, and you'll be eager to do it again the next day, but anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, according to Proverbs 12, 25. There are times when I've not wanted to get out of bed in the morning and face the day. Can you relate to that? And it's not because I worked so hard the day before that I need a couple more hours of sleep. It's because today I have that meeting that I don't want to go to. Or today there's that email I need to write. Or there's that strained relationship that I have with someone that needs my attention. Or it's the awareness of my sin and my failure and the shame that comes with knowing that I blew it. Those are the things that really drain me that make me not want to get up in the morning, things I don't want to face. And I think we can relate to that. Jesus said, come to me, and I will give you rest. And he was talking about rest for those things. If you work all day and you're, you're physically tired, sleep will take care of that. But sleep can't ultimately give you the inner rest of the mind and your heart because you wake up the next day and the problems are still there. For inner rest, we need something more. We need Jesus. He says, I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. The natural question then is how does he give us rest? Why do we need to go to him for it? And the answer is the gospel. Yeah, the answer is the good news. Of salvation, Jesus came to fix the root problem that is behind all of our anxieties and all of our fears about the present and the future. He came to fix the, the striving in our souls to fix the world and secure a good future for ourselves. The root problem behind all that stuff is man's sin, which has broken the world in significant ways, and our sin has added to it. It goes back to the beginning of mankind. First people, Adam and Eve, they had work to do in the garden, in a world without sin. Um, They were to cultivate the world, they were to populate it, they were to bring forth all sorts of productivity and beauty as imitators of God in whose image we're made, and they didn't have any inner turmoil (laughs) in the beginning. Work was great. Work was fun. Work was productive, and they loved doing it. But they started to have inner turmoil. They lost their peace when they decided to disobey God and do things their own way. And after they sinned, life became difficult. Work became difficult. Conflict was introduced. Thorns and thistles the ground will produce for you, is what it says in Genesis 3. It got, it got thorny. It got painful to be in this world. And most importantly, harmony between man and God was broken. That was really the source of all the trouble. And ever since then, we've been dealing with the effects And we've added our own sins to the problem. Sin is what's ultimately wrong with the world. That's what makes us weary and heavy laden as we're trying to undo the effects of the fall by our own efforts and without God. But that can never work, which is why Jesus came. Jesus came to make things right again between us and God. He died on the cross taking the blame and the punishment for our wrongdoing that we might be brought back into peace with our Creator and connected again with Him who is the source of life. And if we come to Jesus, he says, weary of our own striving and our rebellious ways, if we learn from Him, if we open up our hearts to Him as the Savior, then we receive this blessing of reconciliation with God, restoration to Him who is the author of life, the giver of all good gifts. And then you can start to have rest in your soul. You know the root problems taken care of. I'm good with God. I'm forgiven. He's for me. He's with me. He's made promises to me as His son, as His daughter. That means everything is good again. At least in the invisible world. I still have problems in this one, but but this other reality that's bigger and eternal is He's for me. That I can rest in. That I can sleep in at night. That allows my soul to rest, to know you are forgiven. Romans 4, 7, and 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Oh, meditate on that when you feel guilty. Also, you don't carry your life responsibilities alone if you're A believer in Christ. Isaiah 46.4 He says even to your old age I am he and to gray hairs I will carry you. As a gray haired person I like the sound of that. (laughs) More and more I need to be carried. (laughs) But he's carrying you. You're not going through life by yourself. He says I promise. I'll carry you. The things we worry about, that we worry about become things that we can place in the Lord's hands with confidence, knowing He'll take them on. First Peter 5, 7 says, We're casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. When you're at peace with God, you know that stuff that bothers me, that I worry about, that I obsess over, I can cast it on to God and say, Here you go. That's bigger than me. I can't fix that. I leave that in your hands and we can walk away. This is where peace, this is where rest for your soul comes from. Salvation is about this inner rest. In this life, it's incomplete. There's a lot that's not restful. But believers in Christ have this promise in Revelation 14, 13 of a future that's coming. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. That's what heaven is. That's what the new earth is. It's rest from your labors, rest from the poisoned, thorny, wearying, burdensome labor of this life and freed up again to a different life where it was like before sin. It was like, we enjoy doing this. We're going to be active. We're going to be doing things. We're going to be imitating our God forever, doing amazing and beautiful things. And it's all going to be fun. And it won't wear me out. It won't burn me out. That's coming. There's an eternal rest from our labors. And that certainty has a calming effect on the soul. If you're new to an understanding of Jesus, the thing to do is put your trust in Him today. Settle it in your heart and mind that Jesus has the answers you've been looking for. He has the rest that you want. Now, if you're already familiar with these things, let me ask you this question. Is rest... What you experience in your relationship with Jesus, would you describe it that way? Would you describe it as rest? I know that on any given day the answer might be no because it's a tough world to live in. There are a lot of challenges, a lot of temptations. We can still sometimes live as if we need to achieve some great thing or atone for some sin or make some progress in holiness in order to be at peace with God and have a secure future. But rest doesn't come from any of those things. Rest comes from trusting Christ and all that belongs to us in Christ. If your soul isn't at rest, the reason is not because the gospel has failed to deliver as promised the reason is because we have shifted our hope from the gospel onto something else and so we're disturbed because that something else won't do it the god of hope fills you with all joy and peace in believing according to romans 15:13 it's in the believing that joy and peace of the soul comes to us if you find yourself disturbed Fearful, striving, come back to Jesus and learn from Him who is gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And do it with the help of others. This is not to be done alone. We should be workers with you for your joys, is what Paul called himself. In 2 Corinthians 1, let's work with one another, finding our joy in resting in Jesus and all that He's promised us through the cross. Souls resting in Christ should be the starting point of our labor in the world. That's the reality that makes us less frantic, less worried, more content, more joyful than those who don't have that hope. At least that should be our our way of life. So that said, it's going to take some intentionality, though, to experience that rest. It, It probably sounds contradictory, but you have to work at resting. You really do have to. It's going to take fighting for joy and peace in believing. That's an everyday, ongoing activity. But God also gives us something else that will help us cultivate this rest of the soul. And that's the focus of the other text that I want to draw your attention to. It's Deuteronomy 5, 12-15, which is the fourth commandment. This is a command from God to take a rest from your labors, from your work. And I would say that this is a way to cultivate rest for your soul because we are embodied souls. The condition of our physical bodies does affect our inner life. If you work too continuously and don't take a break, you will have a hard time finding rest for your souls. It does affect you. It affects what you think, how you feel. It just changes everything about your mind. And God knows that, which is why we have the fourth commandment. So let's read it and let's make some observations. student Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it Holy As well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Now, oddly enough, this is the most disputed of all the Ten Commandments. I say oddly because you'd think that a command to take a day off would be in everybody's interests. Like, we would all love that one. We would all agree. But we don't. There are disputes over how this command applies to us today. Is it still a command? Or was it fulfilled in Jesus, like some of the other ceremonial laws? Is Sunday the Christian Sabbath? People land in different places on those Questions. My goal isn't to expound on those questions and resolve them all today, but I do think we can say this much, and this is the next point, which is that rest is a discipline to be practiced. Rest is a discipline to be practiced. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, taking one day off in seven was for the good of God's people. It was so they could rest from their work with God's approval. That is surely still something that we need today. Whether you want to call it a command or a principle or just plain wisdom, we cannot continue to work indefinitely without consequences to our bodies, and souls. Um, I was reading some statistics. Workplace stress factors into 120,000 deaths a year in the U.S. There's an effect if we don't take a break. And since it was given as a command, that means we don't do it naturally. It's like eating a healthier diet. Um, You know you need to. You know you'd feel better if you did it. And yet... Still like donuts. I'm gonna eat them. You know, you have to force yourself to do the thing that's good for you. That's why it's a command to rest. We don't just naturally do it. So um, it's it's like it's like that. And, so, and as we're going to see, the discipline of stopping work is to help us enjoy in a tangible way the rest for our souls that Jesus came to give us. It's actually an expression of the belief that we have in the gospel. So let's look at this command. It tells us one thing not to do, and it tells us one thing that we must do. First, here's what we're told not to do. Verse 14, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. Now, what is work? What's meant by that? Je- definitely includes what you do for a living. It, it, it includes what, what produces your income, what feeds your family. The command goes on to say that your oxen and donkey are not to work on the Sabbath. So remember, this is an agrarian economy, and those are their work animals. That's their tractor. You know, that's their car. Um, Donkeys and oxen, that's what plowed your fields, that's what brought your goods to market, and so forth. So on the Sabbath, what that meant was if they're idle, if they're not working, that means you're not working. Um, You're not going to the marketplace, you're not harvesting, you just aren't doing the things that you need to do in order to feed your family and produce income. You just stop it. Money's not being made, productivity comes to a halt. It's a day off from the work that Is your job, basically. That would be our equivalent. It's your job. On the Sabbath, you're supposed to stop doing that. But it wasn't just your job that was in mind here. Work was also what we might call household chores that could be put off for another day. Because when you look at other passages about the Sabbath, here's what was not allowed. In Exodus 16, people were not to go out into the fields to gather manna on the Sabbath. On, on the day before, God was going to give them two days' worth, and so that would be enough. And so the next day, don't go out. I don't want you going out into the fields and gathering up this bread that fell from heaven. Um, that would be equivalent to us going to the grocery store uh, on, on an extra day. Okay, yeah, let's run down to King Supers and get some food. That was what they were not supposed to do on the Sabbath. They weren't to be busy in the kitchen baking things. Exodus 35.3 says, You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Presumably that was a cooking fire. Numbers 15 records a man who was gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, probably as fuel for that fire that he's not supposed to have in the home. So the Lord was giving cooks a day off not just the workers in the field. So when you come to the fourth commandment, it says you shall not do any work. That means you don't do your job and you don't do the chores, the daily grind, the stuff that you have to do day in and day out, things that could be put off for another day. You wouldn't die if you didn't do it. <clears throat> Maybe to put it another way, if it feels like you have to do it, if it feels like work, it's probably work. <laughs> and the Lord says, I want you to stop that for a day. Take a day off. Get off the clock. Take a break from the daily grind. You might think of the Sabbath like a snow day. Now, we can imagine snow days, right? Did we have one? Sometimes you get those 30 inches blizzards, here, and I love those because you know what happens. You can't go anywhere. You have a free pass. I don't need to go to work. I don't need to go to the store. The schools are closed. Nobody has to go anywhere. Let's drink hot chocolate. Let's play board games. Let's watch a movie. And it's (laughs) guilt-free because everybody's doing it too. (laughs) That's how the day of rest is supposed to feel. Like, I don't have to do anything. I can stop. I mean, I could completely stop. that's our God at work saying, I love you. That's what rest from your labors looks like. It's what Jesus said was made for man. God made that day for us. Somebody has said, we don't rest because the work is done. We rest because the work is never done. You have to stop or you can't keep going. God is aware that we are flesh. He's aware that we wear out. We need times of refreshing and restoration from all the things that drain us. We need to find enjoyment in our toil. To go back to Ecclesiastes 2.24, the author says, This also I saw is from the hand of God to find enjoyment in the midst of all the toil. Resting doesn't necessarily mean inactivity. You don't just stare at the walls for a day. It just means you aren't working. It means you, you can and you should do something that rejuvenates you, that refreshes your soul, that makes you gain strength to go back and work the other six days. For one person, that might mean building something. I could imagine that might be what Deacon Rick does for enjoyment. (laughs) For me, that's not fun. Because I don't really do it very well. For me, it's hiking. Okay? Like, hiking is the one thing I do that reliably makes me completely unplug from all my problems. Like, to be up on top of a mountain and look out over there, like, I'm not even tempted to think about that meeting that I'm supposed to have on Friday. Like, God refreshes me that way. That's why I do it. For somebody else, it's a book. It's a cup of coffee. It's their favorite chair all day long. (laughs) Shut off the phone. It's just me and my book. We all have our different things that restore us, but it should actually restore you and not drain you. A marathon session on social media and news feeds will probably drain you. I mean, I don't think... I know this is true for me. After I'm on social media and news, I am not more encouraged. I am not ready to go for it in faith and conquer the world for Jesus. I'm like drained, depressed. Why did I spend that last hour doing that? (laughs) So don't just like default to like, yeah, let's just see what's going on in Instagram. (laughs) Think about it. What actually restores and what drains and don't do the thing that drains do the thing that restores whatever that is consider it what really refreshes you this command though isn't just about taking a break as an end in itself I mentioned before that there it really is a way to cultivate and enjoy rest for our souls that belongs to us in Jesus Christ When we look at it, we see the second part of the command, and it talks about this. This is what Israel was, was to be sure to do on the Sabbath. So this is part of what that day was about. It's in verse 15. You shall remember. That's what you're going to do. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So don't do any work, but do this. Remember, you were a slave once, and now you're not. The Sabbath wasn't just a day to take a break, and that's all. It was a day to remember how God rescued them from slavery. When they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They didn't get days off. They were at the beck and call of their masters continually. They couldn't just say, "'Today I'm not going to make any bricks.'" Now, slaves didn't get that option. The Sabbath rest was to be a weekly reminder that God had been gracious to them. God had delivered them from bondage. We're not slaves anymore. My God is not like the taskmasters of Egypt who only want productivity out of me. He's not a slave driver. He calls himself my father, and he has compassion on me. And he says, take a day off things are different now you got me and so we take that day off they took that day off they're going to take that day to enjoy being a child of god and not a slave the sabbath was a day to remember to enjoy god's grace to not take it was to act like they're still slaves it isn't hard to see the equivalent of what that looks like for us If you're a believer in Jesus, God has freed you from bondage to your sins and to the guilt of those sins and the penalty for those sins. Freed you from it. Absolutely rescued you. God has pronounced himself to be your father, and he has taken you on as his responsibility to love, to care for, to provide for. And to carry you through this world into into the next. So when we take a break, we're saying, I believe all that. (laughs) My day off is a way of saying, I am trusting God as my provider. And he's not a slave driver. He endorses this. He says, enjoy this day because I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy my goodness. And you can't if you're just relentlessly plugged in, always laboring, always focused, always striving. You can't stop and enjoy me and enjoy my creation, which I gave to you to enjoy. When we take that day off, we're saying, I trust God is running the world even when I'm not working. He's taking care of what concerns me even when I'm off the clock. We won't take a break if we don't believe that. You'll keep striving. You'll keep acting as if God is not there and that you and that you alone need to keep your life afloat. Resting is an act of faith. To put it another way, taking a day of rest every week is a day of confirming that you really do believe the gospel. It's a way of enjoying the rest that Jesus said He gives to those who come to Him. Physical rest is the overflow and the demonstration of our belief in the spiritual rest. It's resting in the promises of God that He's for me, that He's going to carry me. Life doesn't ultimately depend on me, it depends on Him. So part of the day of rest is remembering that we're no longer slaves but sons and daughters. So it's not just the same thing as somebody who doesn't know the Lord and they take a day off. Our day off is this taking a day off in view of our God who has given it to us and who is for us. That makes it different. That's what makes it to the Lord and not just simply rest. There's a reality, though, which I mentioned earlier. It requires discipline to rest. To rest well and not just waste time takes planning. (laughs) It takes some effort up front, especially in our culture. I mean, we live in a culture of relentless busyness and the expectation that you are available at all times because they have your phone number. And so, if I text you, I demand, I expect, I require an answer within the next five minutes, even if it comes at 11 at night. (laughs) That's our culture. We don't know how to say no, we don't know how to stop, by and large. I read some statistics about our life habits in the U.S., Here, here are some of them. A software company did a study of their employees and their practice of checking email, work email. 40% checked email after 11 o'clock at night, (laughs) work email. Three quarters on the weekend. Recent statistics show that most mobile phone users check their phones up to 63 times a day and spend an average of 5.4 hours on their phones daily. Two and a half of those hours are on social media. It's more for, mil- for millennials, by the way. <clears throat> One journalist commented on the situation, he put it this way your attention is being spammed all day long. <laughs> you know that's right. <laughs> In our culture, it's hard to rest. We're too plugged in. We waste hours a day on things that don't feed our souls but drain us. We need to learn the discipline of rest and guard our time jealously because it's ultimately about refreshing ourselves in God and enjoying His goodness. It's about life that's sustainable in the midst of sacrifice and labor and challenges. If we don't rest in the Lord, we are on the same track towards burnout as anyone else, but it doesn't have to be that way. So let me just give two pieces of advice about how to practice rest. So I wanted to be real, real practical. I'm not good at resting, and I frequently need to reevaluate my actual practice, but these are two things that I have found to be helpful that I keep going back to. Number one, take an entire day off in seven. Take an entire day off in seven. I realize in a fallen world this can be very hard. Your employer might keep changing your hours. You don't necessarily have complete control over your schedule. Or you have kids, so you have obligations that need constant attention. When I was a bivocational elder, I worked five days for my job and the other two days for the church. I did that for six years, and it was almost a complete wreck after the end of all that. So sometimes there's seasons. Sometimes you can't escape it. Um, but we need to try and carve out the time. Um, We do have to remember man was not made for the Sabbath. Jesus also said that. So we don't serve the day. The day is supposed to serve us. But when we can, we've got to try and make it happen. We've got to find that rest. We might be able to do it more than we do now. A day off isn't impossible. Maybe the biggest hurdle is not our schedule but our habits and our interior drive to keep busy and keep going. That's where my time in Tanzania in the last two weeks provoked me. So Tanzania is an agrarian culture, much like the New Testament times. Uh, I didn't really realize that. People live day by day. They subsist by selling their vegetables in the marketplace. They didn't have any grocery stores that I could tell. Um, They just have marketplaces, and everybody comes that day, sells what they've got, they go home. They come the next day, they sell what they've got. That's how they live day by day. They're living off of that. So you can say that in a country like that, um, people have a really high incentive to not take any days off, right? To, to constantly be thinking, how can I get ahead just a little bit? You know, if I work longer, if I work weekends, if I do it all. But you know what happens in Tanzania? What we saw? People are standing around talking, chatting, spending time with their friends, not moving fast. They call it pole pole, which means slowly, slowly. That's, I thought that's how they, you climb the mountain, but I didn't realize it's a whole life thing there. Like that's how everything is going. It's slowly, slowly. Um, in a culture where they have reason to rush, to try and get, get ahead a little bit, but they don't. That is foreign to us. It's definitely foreign to me. But for one day a week, it shouldn't be foreign. We need to leave room in our schedule to not be productive and trust that God is producing something when we're not. (laughs) Leave room for not working. What you do instead on that day is remember the Lord and His goodness. That's why Sunday has become most people's day of rest, because it's a good day to remember the Lord like what we're doing right now. Um, It's harder now. It used to be Sundays were protected culturally. Now they're not. Now it's just every day is basically the same. So we have to fight for it. But it doesn't have to be Sunday. I work on Sunday. Um, This isn't my day of rest. I have to find another 24 hours some other time. You might have to do the same thing. The main thing is that you rest in the Lord and rest from your work, if at all possible. So plan that day in advance. Make sure you don't fill it with things that drain your soul. Be intentional. What restores you? What makes you more ready to jump back into the day? And then do that and do it with God's approval, assuming that it's not inherently sinful. My only other piece of advice is this. Have an evening shutdown ritual. An evening shutdown ritual or routine. I actually learned this resource uh, from a guy who was talking about productivity. (laughs) It was a productivity guy who said, have have an evening shutdown routine. That's not a contradiction for resting. His, His premise is that you are more productive if you build rest into your life. If you don't, your productivity actually goes downhill. You think you're doing more and you're actually doing less unless you plan rest. And so his his advice was have a shutdown routine at the end of every day. A shutdown routine looks like this. You pick a time when you're gonna start winding down and stop working and then you stick to it. Like, okay, maybe it's seven o'clock. Okay, that's when I'm transitioning out-of-work mode, into rest (laughs) mode. And I'm going to do this thing. It's on my calendar. It's like an appointment. At 7 o'clock, I'm going to do this. You plan how you're going to transition out of the work, out of the chores, into an off-the-clock mode. Maybe that means you start by cleaning up your desk, shutting off the computer, and walking away. Just walk away. (laughs) Walk away from that portal into all of your life-draining activities. Then you plan what you're going to do to wind down. Maybe that's a game with your family. Maybe that's coffee with a friend. Maybe that's a novel that you're reading. But it's going to be something restorative, and it doesn't feel like work. And then you plan your end game for how you're going to get to sleep. It should include some reflection on the day and how God was at work. This is something that I know other people do. They have a thankfulness journal or a journal, and they remember, what did God do today? Because you know what happens, at least with me. At the end of the day, I just think about all the things that went wrong. That's the only thing I remember. Nobody needs to tell me to remember those things. But what I always miss is, what did God do today? How did He provide? How did He get me through this or that situation? And we train ourselves to think, God is at work in my life. And I can thank Him for what He did today. And that's going to help me transition into sleep. You'll have to have a plan for when you're going to stop looking at screens. Because I've read research saying screens don't make you want to sleep. There's too much stimulus there. So you're going to need some transition away from screens so that you can actually get to sleep when it's time. I'm being super practical here, right? But that's where we have to get. And then you have a bedtime, and you stick with it. And I know any day of the week that can all blow up. But that's why you have routines. Routines automate the things that are good for you so that once it blows up, which it will, you know how to get back to where you should be. Those are the two pieces of advice. Take a day off, have a shutdown routine. The Lord will bless you, I think, as you're doing those things. That's what it looks like to walk by faith and trust God. So let me just close with this. The Lord invites each of us to find our rest in Him. Isn't He a good God? Not a slave driver. Come to me and you'll find what? Extra, hard, terrible life or rest? It's rest. Yeah, there's hard things. Following Jesus is going to involve hard things. It's going to get you into trouble a lot. But there's a way to be in trouble and still have rest. Rest for your soul. And that we find by pressing into him, pressing into the gospel. One day a week, let's take a foretaste of it. (laughs) One day a week, let's unplug and let's enjoy rest from our wearisome labors and let's anticipate the day when that's going to become our permanent situation. With that, let's just pray. Thank, Thank you, Lord, that you are loving, you are for us. You don't actually need all of our labor. So you are completely self-sufficient. You are going to accomplish all that you intend. And so, Lord, help us to just believe that. We're not sovereign. You are. And let's unplug. Help us to do it. Help us to enjoy the remembrance of your grace to us through Jesus Christ. May it be to our greater energy greater recovery individually and as a church so that we can be involved even more wholeheartedly in all of the labors that are consistent with following Jesus Christ joyful labors they're not they're they're easy they're not they're not like the yoke of the world we ask you to do this in Jesus name amen let's stand and-